Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. houses were all I ever wanted to be in as a child. I just, I loved it. It just, fishing, hanging out with fishermen, it just sticks with you or something. I don't, I don't have words for that one. That is Lauren Salter. Lauren is a 32-year-old woman who grew up immersed in the commercial fishing industry in coastal North Carolina. Her father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all commercial fishermen, and water has shaped every aspect of her life. To me, it's everything. I mean, I don't I don't even know sometimes how to explain it. It's just, I like to say I went to college at UNCW because I was afraid I would dry out inland, and <laughs> that that's a real, I mean, that really did shape my decision on where I went to school. That's how important being on the coast was to me. So Lauren is from Down East, which is a region of more than 10 unincorporated communities on the North Carolina coast. And so what that means is that this area is pretty geographically isolated from larger cities, and a lot of folks down there have historically worked the water of the sound to earn a living. Um, If you've heard of Down East, it's probably because of seafood or uh, the interesting dialect called brogue. Is that right? Yes, the Down East brogue is how some people refer to it. Yeah, Yeah, and it has a lot of remnants of Old English, um, and it's a very surprising accent to come from North Carolina and from the South. So let me just say, if somebody from Down East uh, is saying high tide, they might say hoi toid. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so a lot of the industry down there is commercial fishing, but today that industry is very much shrinking um, and has been for the past few decades. And like many working coastal communities, a lot of the folks who are living down there are really looking down the barrel of a gun. There is gentrification and environmental issues and everyone is sort of fighting to stake a claim to land. And you've spent a lot of time down there and happened to meet Lauren um, on one of your work trips. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I met Lauren when I was down in Harker's Island, which is one of the the communities in Down East. And they have a museum down there, a community museum that does a lot of documentary work and cultural celebration and education about the community in the region. And On that particular weekend, they were hosting a group of environmental journalists from the southeast who were spending a week there learning about the coast of North Carolina, the culture um, 
of people who've lived down there for a really long time. And Lauren was one of a, a, a couple young down easters who were sort of representing the next generation and their hopes for the region and also their anxieties about what they're facing. And I was just really impressed with her conviction and her storytelling. And I remember at one point she said, I would lay down and die if I could make sure commercial fishermen could keep working the waters of North Carolina. And so after the talk, I of course had to go introduce myself and I wanted to learn more about her and she had just left a policy job lobbying for commercial fishermen because of gender dynamics in the workplace and we really wanted to have her come on the show and talk about it so that's what our show is tonight. Awesome so let's hear her introduce us to Down East. Down East can be kind of like a steel magnolias moment from the outside um, very idyllic. It's beautiful, um, pristine waters. Uh, grew up in a large family, very connected to family. I still live about a mile away from my grandmother, a uh, mile and a half away from my aunts. You know, we're all here. We all see each other three and four times a week. Um, my grandmother took care of my, my baby when I went back to work. Um, but there's also that side of, of Down East that's unfortunately a little bit backward as good as I love it it can be um kind of like living about 30 years behind the curve (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to hear you talk about the historic role that women have played in the community that you're from that's a really interesting one because there is that mother wife dynamic that's really strong here and a lot of my friends my age and even my mother and her friends, they joke about Downey's men. You can't do anything with them. They can't do anything for themselves. Their mothers ruin them. And to some degree, it's true. You know, they're, they're babies here forever, it seems like sometimes, the men. Because that, that role is really strong here. But um, when I was in college, I took a writing and activism class and and read about Mother Jones, and what was really interesting to me about that was they were talking about she was a mother to the coal miners, and that was so needed because a mother is both fierce, fiercely defensive and protective, but also nurturing. And so it's that dynamic that kind of got her where no other man could have gotten. You know, she she mothered the coal miners through battles, you know, and that it wasn't just cooking and cleaning and licking wounds, but it was fighting, you know, it was that fierceness and that protectiveness that she could exhibit. And I you see that a lot here in women. They're they're fiercely protective of their families and they would do anything for their families. But they're also workhorses. I mean, you see a lot of women in boats, you know, and I was working at Marine Fisheries and I was still married to my ex husband. Um and he was gill netting and shrimping and something would happen and a deckhand would call out or he got stung by stingray and, you know, he was on painkillers and you can't let him go out in the boat when he's on painkillers, you know what I mean, like by himself. So I'd call off of work and I'd go pick flounder or I'd go pick shrimp, or, you know, call out. or And women have always kind of done that down here. You know, they've been deckhands. They've been, um, they've worked on the gear. They've sat, sat with the men working on motors and, you know, even in my family, they they talk about one of my grandmothers on my father's side 
they always talked about how she loved to work like a man. Hmm. And it was like she liked to build fences and be in the yard and, and do manual labor. And, they, of course, they called that working like a man. Uh, I mean, that's working like a woman. It's just doing hard work. But, but And also women around here, they're, you know, fishermen are going a lot. And that's another part of it. You know, shrimp, shrimpers, you leave out on Sunday, a woman's home by herself all, all week. If you were waiting for a man to take out the trash or, or fix the leak or what, you'd be waiting a long time sometimes. <laughs> you know, so they, right. you did it. So it, I, I've always thought that was really interesting. Um, it's almost like we just shift in and out of whatever gear we're in at the moment. Hmm. But... Women are tough down here, just just because it had to be. That was Lauren Salter painting a picture of home and where she comes from. So, Anita, what are your thoughts? A lot. Of, I have a lot of thoughts. I'd actually just produced this whole segment with a poet um, for my day job who talks about this concept of revolutionary mothering and the idea is that like we've always associated mothering with gender and like the mothering act as a gendered act but like we wouldn't be where we are as a society today and like kids couldn't grow up without having some kind of like mothering force so she was talking about sort of how we need to like re-embrace the need for every community to be mothered by hmm. each other. And I just love how Lauren like can see how necessary that mothering role is for a community like that to come together and for industries like that to work. But it takes a lot of um, determination, I guess, and selflessness mm-hmm. and, and in a way that makes me kind of sad that, you know, they're sort of taken for granted, it seems like. Yeah. So this this tension between strong community bonds and gender roles really is a defining part of Lauren's story tonight, as is her relationship and connection to home and the water. And one of her favorite places to be when she was a kid was her family's fish house in Beaufort. And what's a fish house? (laughs) (laughs) So a fish house, as I've learned is basically an economic and social and cultural hub for commercial fishing communities. So it's where fish are brought in. It's where they're sold. It's where they're processed. If you were a fisherman and you had a problem on your boat and you couldn't afford to pay for that to be fixed, the fish house would front fishermen the money to do that. So it's definitely an economic Uh, But it's also a place where just a lot of storytelling takes place. So fishermen will come in and they'll talk about their catch and what the weather's looking like and what's going on in the community. So it really functions in that way. And there aren't a ton of these left, right? I mean, it's kind of appalling. So I've done a lot of work on the seafood industry in North Carolina. And we have this expansive coastline, um, these vast bodies of water to fish and For many, many generations, there were fish houses all along the coast of North Carolina, and many people were always eating local seafood. Mm. But that's not the way it is right now, and I think there are only a handful of fish houses left in the state of North Carolina. Wow. So for Lauren, she very much grew up in that environment. It had a huge impact on her and the kind of person she grew up to be, and she, from a young age, really saw herself um, as growing up to 
have a fish house of her own. So we asked her to sort of talk about how her relationship with that place evolved. I used to say that that was my fish house. And in <laughs> fact, the the man that bought the fish house and I are, are close. I used to work for him at NCFA. And I would tell him, that's my fish house. <laughs> you know, you take care of my fish house. Um, my name is in the concrete down there today. <laughs> um, but I I saw myself taking that fish house, fish house over when I was, seven years old like I just knew that's where I was going to be um and I had a younger male cousin that my family I think saw taking it over and unfortunately the the business closed before either one of us even got a chance to fight over it but I I don't think (laughs) I'd had to fight him for it you know he didn't really want it and I did so I always saw myself doing it Mm -hmm. even though I didn't really see anybody like myself there (laughs) was there a particular moment where it became very clear to you that you wanted this, that you could really see yourself in the space for a long time? I think in high school it it became clear to me that I was an advocate-type-minded person and that if I had a cause that would be my favorite to advocate for, it would be them. I didn't really see how that could happen. Um, so I went to college and I started in chemistry and I hated that. And, you know, I went back to literature, which is what I'd always done, and I figured if nothing else, I'll write stories about it, um, you know, in my spare time. But it just so happened when I got out of college, I stumbled into a job at Marine Fisheries and a few years later stumbled into a policy, you know, closer to the policy um, and just made a lot of contacts and and paid attention and and learned what I could while I was there. And um, when NCFA, the Fisheries Association, started to kind of, um, they had a like a stumble and fall kind of moment. They were just about to dissolve the corporation, and there was talk of starting to to rebuild it again. I I went I went to um, the chairman at the time and said, I you know I want to do this. I want to I want to come work with fishermen, and I just wouldn't let up for about eight months until he finally <laughs> until he finally let me head of the board, and I I talked him into it. <laughs> From where you stand, what do you feel like are some of the biggest misconceptions um, about the community down east and the commercial fishing industry in particular? Because I know sort of from where we stand in the Triangle area, you know, we see that there is a tension between what legislators are doing here in Raleigh and what maybe the needs and wants are on the coast. Um, I'd love to sort of hear you elaborate on that tension. and, And I guess, yeah, back to my first question, what some of the misconceptions are. I think the greatest misconception is that the that level of contention exists hmm. in all areas uh, for all fishermen. You know, to read the News and Observer, you think it's this huge battle across the board for everybody. I, I don't necessarily believe that, but I think there's probably a lot more people in the middle that agree on a lot of these issues or at least find a lot more common ground in those issues and do not feel so angry there's not so much vitriol you know there's a lot more desire to find common ground and move forward another misconception you know down here in my my hometown is we're all you know we're backwards we're uneducated um you, you know just the, t- the typical stereotypical hick kind mm-hmm. of mentality and we're not you know it's a complex varied place with a lot of really intelligent people with really interesting stories and um, commercial fishing, the commercial fishermen are really interesting, and they are 
a lot of fun to talk to, and you can sit and, and hear great stories to, to sit down and talk to them. They're not at all, um, they're not at all simple. They're just not. They don't. They don't speak in the vernacular of the, the academy. So I think that's a big misconception: is that they're they're simple. Um, they have simple desires, but they're they're really complex people. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So as Lauren talked about, after college, she went to work for the Division of Marine Fisheries. So it's the State Department that's responsible for taking care of marine resources. And then she went to work at the North Carolina Fisheries Association. And that was the lobbying group that she had recently left when you met her. Yes. Um, and this group promotes the local seafood movement and the interests of commercial fishermen has been doing so for 60-some years. So it seems like it would sort of be a dream job for her, but it didn't really turn out that yeah. way. Yeah, it does seem like a dream job for her, but it really didn't turn out that way. So it wasn't very long after she was hired that she started bumping up um, basically against her gender and how it was affecting the way she could do her job. And she shared some of those experiences with us in this next segment. But uh, I just want everyone to bear in mind that by the time she was hired with NCFA, she'd have years of experience working for the Division of Marine Fisheries and also a lifetime of exposure to the community, to the culture, to the industry of commercial fishing in and of itself. So just bear that all in mind. She knew her stuff. (laughs) The one one thing that hit me immediately and persisted throughout my time at at the Trade Association was... um, this comment that you're you're so beautiful or you're so pretty, you know, you can sell these memberships. It took me a while to accept that maybe I hadn't been so much hired for the reasons that I hoped I had been as, you know, be a pretty face and go sell memberships. Um, and selling memberships, you know, getting the fishermen on board, it, it's important. It's important for people to understand. And, I mean, I think the idea was you can hook them with your looks, and then when, once you start talking, you know, you really sell it. You're so passionate, you know. Hmm. But um, I heard that one more than once, and it, it was just disappointing. Um, you know, you, you can sell them anything hmm. was kind of the 
go get them, girl. <laughs> How did you respond? How do you respond? Have you ever confronted anyone that said anything like that to you? I make a joke about everything. I, that that tends to be my defense mechanism, and I would kind of bite at them. I would joke with them. They knew I was pleased with them, but I never really confronted it until nearing the end of the time mm-hmm. at NCFA. I wish I'd have done it differently, but I, I kind of made a joke of it sometimes and would, you know, well, you're good looking too. Why don't you go sell some, mm-hmm. you know, sure. <laughs> kind of thing. Why don't, you know, why don't you go prostitute yourself out? <laughs> but that was one I ran up against a lot. And um, I noticed the, the more subtly, like in board beatings, I, I had a decade um, of experience and I was, I knew all the, you know, how everything worked there and how the meetings went. And I knew every step of every process. And I would say something, you know, and, and not even an opinion, but this is how it works. And it was kind of like I had these these men that had been in it 20 years ago. And they'd say, well, when Hogarth was director, you know, and it was just kind of this dismissal mm. of, and I mean, that's a much more subtle kind of thing because they'll they'll throw it at you like it's um wisdom you know and you're being impertinent and you you don't appreciate the wisdom of the generation before you and it's not so much that i you don't appreciate wisdom of the generation before you except for that wisdom no longer is as valid or as useful as it once was that was a more subtle kind of thing but i there's nothing in me that believes that it wasn't because I was a woman. So how did you deal with that when you went home from work every day? Like, how do you process something like that when it's 2014? Here's an issue that you also know inside and out. It's both extremely personal to you and you're extremely well versed in the nuances of the issue and you're having a hard time being heard. I leaned on one particular mentor who, you know, was a woman who had been in a very similar situation for many years um, with a male-dominated organization and and just kind of looked to her for that assurance that I wasn't crazy because it can make you feel really, really crazy. You know, like, well, maybe I'm not good at this or maybe I am you know <laughs> wrong all the time about everything and but then things would happen that what I had said or predicted would bear itself out and so I would just try to remind myself of I, I would try to find the goalpost or something or the, mm-hmm. the guide the lighthouse almost like no you're not crazy you know there's validity in what you're saying I also talked a lot to the people I had worked with back at Marine Fisheries uh, who knew me well and who respected me and they kind of could tell me like no that wasn't a that that was a really valid point which seems crazy like even saying it now it seems crazy that I had to go looking for validation about what I knew was right (laughs) you know but it it could be very um, unnerving I guess it just it eroded your confidence to a certain degree um, and for a long time I just kind of 
let it roll off because I was so excited about this opportunity and this is all I had ever wanted to do and I was going to break the mold you know I was going to break through the glass ceiling I was going to and it just so happened that I got divorced (laughs) right after I came on at NCFA and um you had a lot going on I had a lot going on so it it kind of all got mixed up in itself in a way um actually coming coming away from that relationship and and kind of being on my own in another way that kind of helped me show myself the strengths that yeah you can stand on your own you you don't have to you don't have to be supported by these people to know that you're you're okay and that you you have intelligence of your own to offer but eventually it was one of the big reasons that I decided it wasn't a good fit that was that was a major factor in it Um, And I remember what struck me so much when she talked about that was just the internal lack of confidence that was brewing inside of her because of the way that she was being treated in the workplace. And I think that's a very familiar sensation. You know, you're always sort of checking yourself and trying to figure out how you stack up. But to think about how much experience she had for her to slowly, for her confidence to be slowly eroded in that way was was really um, memorable and striking. I totally agree. I feel like this is a good time to remind you guys that Lauren loves commercial fishing. She loves the community that she is from. And at the very top of the show, she talked about how it's really hard for her to find the words to explain her relationship to this issue and cause, really. So... Lauren wrote an essay for us after we taped this show, really trying to tap in and access words to describe that. And it feels like a really good moment to throw that in. So here she is reading it. I love commercial fishing. It's my heritage. The sight of a trawler, a haul boat, or a clam rake makes me smile. Some of my happiest memories are of time spent at fish houses and on boats. As a child, I was most content at my grandparents' fish house, riding the forklift, making boxes, fishing off the dock, or climbing the ice house when no one was watching. I feel something like a hum in my blood when I see a man mending net, a link to another time, an ancestor. I can't help but feel a little awestruck at the thought of my grandfather's plying the Pamlico hundreds of years ago, of my grandmother's anxiously waiting for them in an unexpected storm. At 32, I'm still proud, as only a daughter can be, of my daddy braving northeast winters and high seas to bring fish to the dock. I verge on the evangelical when it comes to the industry. I want people who have never met a fisherman to see them the way I do, the most wonderful mix of fierce independence and dependable neighbor. Oftentimes, they are spellbinding storytellers and mischievous jokesters, all wound up in the shell of a weather-worn atlas bearing the weight of a family or two or three on his shoulders. Commercial fishermen are the first environmentalists stewards of the sound long before it was hip. They notice the slightest change in the waters they fish and worry about what it means. 
These men and women are living examples of faith, never knowing what they will bring home, or even if they will make it home. Yet they set out, and they are tough. They work with gashes and bruises and all manner of ailments, sometimes in blinding heat, and others breathtaking cold. These guys are kind-hearted too. They encourage one another in tough times and on trips long from home. When one of their own struggles, they are quick to aid. In fact, they are well known to stop to help anyone they meet in need. How could I not love them? But in the end, explaining my love of the industry is like trying to explain my eye color. I can't imagine it any differently. I inherited it from my father. It's in my blood. Lauren hasn't given up. She's currently the editor for the online publication Down East Community News, and she keeps one foot in the door on commercial fishing issues. I continue to go to commission meetings. Um, I continue to talk to the commissioners that I'm friends with. I continue to do everything I used to do. I just don't get paid for it. Um, And even it was really funny that the day my granddaddy found out that I'd gone to a commission meeting and he was just he was really upset with me. He's like, don't you feel out of place? Aren't you uncomfortable? Like, he was really mad that I would even go. You know, and I was like, no, I'm not uncomfortable there. Why? He's like, well, they didn't want you. And I'm like, well, no, I quit. (laughs) But even if they hadn't have wanted me, I still want to be there. But that's, you know, he's 76 years old. And that was the way he looked at it. Like, those men don't want you there. Why Why do you go? It was like he was embarrassed for me. <laughs> well, I was kind of like, well, I go because I want to go. And because hmm. I, I love them. And because I would lay down and die for people to be able to pull a net and pay them go sound. Well, and you identify as a feminist. Talk about how you bring that through your work in your daily life as a mother to a daughter. Um, I probably, I probably annoy her. She, she just turned eight on Saturday and, uh, I'm always telling her from the time she was two, you know, you can do anything you want. And over the years she would keep saying, well, I can't like that cause I'm a boy or she was worried that she liked playing in the dirt and she was a girl. And I kept saying over and over through the years, like, who cares? It's, it's not about whether you're a boy or a girl. You should do what you like to do, you know? Um, just it, you know, all that stuff is kind of made up, Aiden. You know, that's that's something somebody said. It ought to be that way. Who cares? Just and just this year, I heard her telling one of her friends. Somebody said something, you know, to her offhandedly about, "Well, you're a girl." It might have even been somebody in the family. You're a girl. Don't you shouldn't do that or whatever. And she's like, "That's all made up anyway." <laughs> yes, it's working. <laughs> so I was like you know score one against <laughs> yes. a million hits mom one uh, society who knows yeah. how much <laughs> yeah lauren won uh and then today she told me coming home from town that she, you know she was gonna grow up to be a youtuber and she she heard me in a conversation <laughs> actually amazing. about fisheries and <laughs> fishery stuff and me being mad about being dismissed over being a woman and how these ideas that i had 
you know, are now getting carried forward, but only because they came from the, the mouth of a man who got them from me. And uh, mm. she said, don't worry, Mama, when I grow up, I'm going to be a YouTuber, and they're really influential, and I'm going to make sure that, you know, <laughs> women are treated equally, because you can, lots of people watch YouTubers, so I was like, all right, <laughs> go with it, girl, get it. I love it. it. You know? we, will, we will promote Aiden's show that yeah, exactly. day, yes. when that comes to When pass. that day comes. So she's, um, she's a pretty, pretty strong-minded individual, so I, I think she's she's just seeing it you know she's just seeing the fallout this past year and she didn't like it she didn't like how her mama got treated you know and i hope she doesn't get treated that way so i'm gonna keep on her to to not let them do it to her because they'll do it to you if you let them I love what she says about her daughter, and I really want to meet her. She seems like an amazing yes, kid. Yes, yes, she really does. It's really admirable that she stuck around and continues to be fighting for the industry in whatever yes. way she can. She talks earlier in the show about how independent and self-sustaining her community is, and it has been that way in large part because of its geographic isolation. And to me, I see this direct connection with her independent and free thinking, with being raised in an environment where those are values of the community so it's kind of interesting and I wonder how many grassroots advocates who are women who are working in communities like the one Lauren is working in kind of face the same tension Hmm. that she does so the the force and the influence of traditional gender roles and ways of life while also this push to redefine as a community in order to survive right thank you lauren for joining us thanks so much and thank you all for listening that is us for tonight we broadcast live every thursday from the studios of whup in hillsboro you can find us on facebook instagram twitter twitter Spotify, and rate us on iTunes. Yeah, and thank you Cameron Laws and Sam Gorick for our wonderful theme music, and we can't wait to bring you guys another show soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.